There are 11 warriors. Yes, they are the 11 warriors. The most disciplined and the toughest damn dudes you're ever going to be around. Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Andy Anders as we are in the home stretch of a regular season. Just two games to go for Ohio State in the regular season. Minnesota coming up this week. And then, of course, the big game next week against Michigan. And it, it's hard not to start thinking ahead to that one, isn't it, Andy? Absolutely. You know, when you talk about the Ohio State fans, when you talk about us as reporters, you know, that's kind of the game that's in the back of your mind. All the storylines that are going to go into that, likely a top three matchup. Obviously, the stakes of the rivalry, the storylines, you know, with Ryan Day losing the past two matchups. So uh, there's a lot to look forward to about that game. And it's hard not to look past this Minnesota team. Um, that's not something Ohio State can afford to do as a team. You always want to take serious the opponent that's in front of you. Uh, but certainly, you know, it's it's all a build for me personally, I know, toward that Michigan game and knowing that that's what's looming. That's the big crescendo, the big mountaintop to the end of this season. Yeah. And I mean, right now, it just looks like everything is going to be on the line in that game. I mean, you think back to last year and Ohio State lost that game and still made the CFP. But you look at the CFP picture right now, there's still five undefeated power five teams there's four other power five teams with one loss or fewer and so the competition to get one of those four spots this year is tight and it's making that game next week really feel like a true cfp elimination game yeah, and you know, even if it weren't, this is the biggest rivalry in sports in many people's eyes, you know, especially people that are directly involved in it. Uh, when you talk about Ohio State and Michigan fans, there if there weren't that level of stakes, it would still be in a crazy intense game, a crazy high profile game. Um, and also based on the nature of the two teams this year, you know, you're talking about two of the best teams in college football. I think that's been proved out over the course of the season in both cases. Uh, even if, you know, Michigan really hadn't played a strong schedule up until this past week. I think they've shown that they are one of the best teams out there. And um, again, all the sign ceiling stuff going on off the field, all of the narratives between Harbaugh and Day, there's just so much going into this game. And then you add on top of it major college football playoff implications. Yeah, no lack of storylines going into that game, certainly. Uh, the Jim Harbaugh, Connor Stallion, sign stealing scandal still dominating college football headlines. And we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. Uh, of course, the big news on Friday being that the Big Ten suspended Jim Harbaugh from coaching in games for the last three weeks of a season. Michigan and Jim Harbaugh set to appear in court on Friday as they try to get that suspension overturned, try to get a legal ruling that will prevent the Big Ten from enforcing that suspension. So we still don't know right now whether Jim Harbaugh will be on the sidelines for that Ohio State-Michigan game. We should have a better idea next week at this time. Right now, we still really don't know. Uh, but a lot of football stuff that we can talk about here on this week's show, too, and uh, certainly starting with what we saw on Saturday with Ohio State against Michigan State. And to me, I think the biggest thing that stands out for me coming out of that game is just how great Marvin Harrison Jr. is. And that's not exactly breaking news, but I think the Ohio State wide receiver certainly bolstered his 
Heisman profile with his performance in that national primetime game against Michigan State. Uh, in the first three drives of a game for Ohio State, Marvin Harrison Jr. scored three touchdowns, started out with a 19-yard rushing touchdown, followed that up with receiving touchdowns on each of Ohio State's next two drives. He finished the game with seven passes or seven receptions for 149 yards and three total touchdowns, despite playing just one drive in the second half of a game that Ohio State comfortably won 38-3. to And so it really feels now like Marvin has a real shot at this Heisman. I, I wouldn't call him the favorite. I think there's still, I'd say, three other players who are very much in that race. But I think Marv has done enough, and I think he's been consistently great enough that even though the Heisman has tended to be a quarterback award in recent years, I think it's far from out of the question that Marvin Harrison Jr. could win the Heisman this year. Right. And, you know, I don't think it's necessarily raw production that's doing it for Marvin at this point in terms of making that Heisman case. I mean, yes, already being over a thousand yards receiving at this point in the year, having the touchdown numbers he has, those are great things, of course. But it's really just how he's done it and proving in these games that, you know, he's the best receiver in college football and so head and shoulders above all other receivers in college football that based on his outstanding nature, he deserves this award. And also it's the value to his offense, right? I mean, there's been games where Marvin is kind of the offense for Ohio State. We saw that against Penn State, especially uh, you talk about a big game performance right there delivering the way he did on that stage in that setting. Uh, but, you know, this past week it was showing the versatility with the rushing touchdown and that fantastic catch he had on his second touchdown of the day, first receiving touchdown, uh, the throw from McCord there on the side of the end zone. And you get uh, the, the other one was much cleaner breaking, just a great route that comes open across the middle. But uh, seven catches, 149 yards and really starting to make that case. It, it helps when you know your head coach is backing you. And uh, I I think what Day says resonates with a lot of people. You know, this is an award that is supposed to go to the most outstanding player in all of college football. And it's hard to come up with someone who's been more outstanding just watching him and watching the games than Marvin Harrison Jr. has been. Uh, I think those other three quarterbacks you mentioned are going to make a great case as well. But Marvin is certainly more in the thick of this race than he was at the start of the year. Uh, and the odds makers in Vegas have sort of reflected that too. When you look at, you know, he was at one time much lower on DraftKings than his current plus 475. That's, you know, a better than five to one odds to win the Heisman there. So uh, I'll be curious to see, A, if he gets that invitation to New York and B, if he's able to, you know, be one of the few receivers that has ever won the award in the end. And yeah, it'll just be a, a cool storyline to follow as this year progresses. I think a lot of it will hinge on how he does in that Michigan game. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I think when you think of Heisman winners in the past, you talk about that quote unquote Heisman moment. Typically, the guy who wins for Heisman is somebody who comes up really big in a big game late in the year. And as we talked about already, nothing's going to be bigger for Ohio State this season than that Ohio State Michigan game. And so that's why I believe Marv really does have a chance. I think, because I think, you know, right now, if you look at the odds board, he's fourth on the odds board. Uh, Bo Nix is considered the favorite right now. Michael Penix Jr. and Jaden Daniels are right there. I mean, if you're just going off stats, you'd have to give the award to Jaden Daniels right now because Jaden Daniels 
has the best passer rating in the country, and he's rushed for almost a thousand yards. And so, uh, if you're just going off statistical production, Jaden Daniels would be the guy to win the award right now. If you're if you're going off the, the best quarterback on a college football playoff contending team, then you're going to be between Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix. I think those three losses are going to hurt Jaden Daniels, whether they should or not. I, I think those three losses could hurt Jaden Daniels in terms of actually winning the Heisman. But I think for Marv, the argument you can make for Marv is one, he's the best player on arguably the best team in the country. There's really no one else in college football like him. I mean, I think just, you know, he, he is such a unique talent. You know, you look at those numbers and, and Ryan Day makes that point about how, you know, it's not just supposed to go to the guy for best stats. It's supposed to go to the most outstanding player in the country. I mean, he's putting up those numbers, even though week in and week out, defenses are consistently trying to take him out of games. They're, they're shading coverage toward his side. They're, they're trying. I mean, basically every opponent Ohio State plays is trying to take Marvin out of a game. And most of them are not successful because he's just that good. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, you know, I would I would certainly uh, if I was a Heisman voter, I, I would be inclined to vote for Marvin Harrison Jr. Because I think he is the most outstanding player in college football. And I think if he can have that Heisman moment uh, against Michigan, I think he has a real chance. Yeah, so just as you talked about, you know, uh, Jaden Daniels does have that big statistical argument for the award, but I think that when you look at the way Marvin Harrison has been for this team, and not just really being a great receiver for this Ohio State team, but transcending, I think, the history of Ohio State receivers in many ways, I think there's it can easily be said now that Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best receiver in the history of Ohio State football. You talk about the first guy ever to record back-to-back a a thousand yard seasons. You talk about uh, what exactly how he's done it, how he's looked in these two years, his reputation as a workhorse, a guy who is constantly on the monarch machine, improving his game, catching passes, a guy the coaching staff has to tell to slow down at times. And it's rare to hear that from coaches when you talk about a guy putting in that much work into his craft, into his game. It was clear, I think, from the first day. Marvin arrived, covering him, talking to him, as we've gotten to know him over the years. This is a guy who's dedicated to being great, and a guy who I think is going to be the best receiver on the planet, regardless of level, within the next three to four years, when you talk about him probably getting drafted with a top overall pick and going and doing great things in the NFL starting next year. So just all of those things you take into account, and just the body control, the route running, the physical tools, all of those things, and how great he is at that receiver position. It's such a unique talent that you want to see rewarded with the Heisman. And I think this is a good year to see him end up getting that award. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. And like you, like we've been saying, you know, it's going to take a big day against Michigan. That'll be the deciding factor. If he goes out and puts up 100 yards and two touchdowns and Ohio State wins that game, I like his chances. You talk about that work ethic and, you know, his, his humility too, I think is also something that should be lauded. I mean, I, I think a good example of that would be after the game on Saturday night and Jerry Emig asked him to go to the podium for his post-game press conference. And Marv wanted to go to the back. Like he, he didn't want to be at the podium. Like he just wanted Kyle to be at the podium. Like he didn't want 
that spotlight on him. And I think that speaks to who Marv is. I, I think it's not that he's uncomfortable in the spotlight because he, he, he's, he's very comfortable in the spotlight when it's there, but he doesn't necessarily want to be the guy in the spotlight. He doesn't necessarily want all the attention to be on him. I think he has a very team first approach and he's, and he's said it all year long, even when he's asked about the Heisman, that's not my goal. My goal is to beat Michigan and, and win the big 10 championship, which of course are as team goals. So the, the thing is, like you said, those two goals go hand in hand because if Marvin Harrison jr. Can lead Ohio state to wins over Michigan and in the big 10 championship game, he has a real shot to win the Heisman. If he doesn't, then he probably doesn't have a real shot to win the Heisman. I mean, we saw that with C.J. Stroud, where, you know, two years in a row, he went into the Michigan game with a real shot to win the Heisman, and then they lost to Michigan, and he, and he faded out, ended up finishing fourth in 2021 and third in 2022. And so I think if Ohio State loses to Michigan, I, like, I think right now I would be surprised if Marvin Harrison Jr. is not a Heisman finalist. But I think for him to be a Heisman winner, a lot of that's going to come down to what he does over those, these next three weeks and, and certainly specifically in that Ohio State-Michigan game. But, you know, I'd also say, too, before we even look ahead to the Michigan game, like if you're an Ohio State fan, especially if you're an Ohio State fan who's fortunate enough to be at Bashu on Saturday, appreciate Marvin Harrison Jr. Because Saturday is almost certainly going to be the final time we see Marvin Harrison Jr., play in Ohio Stadium and so appreciate him because like Andy said this guy's the best wide receiver in Ohio State history and Ohio State has had a lot of great wide receivers and I still don't feel like it's going out on much of a limb anymore to say that Marvin Harrison Jr. is the greatest receiver in Ohio State history what he's done the past two years is phenomenal certainly his goal is to build on that legacy even further over the next uh couple weeks and, and hopefully beyond that. But for what he's already done, he's already going to go down as one of the greats in Ohio State history. And so uh, if you're an Ohio State fan, you should appreciate every opportunity you have remaining to watch him in Scarlet and Gray. Because like Andy said, next year, he's probably going to be the number one wide receiver on an NFL team. Right. And, you know, I think that's a sentiment that's really great to push out there. One that you were saying, you know, even as we were watching Marvin against Michigan State this past week is you watch this guy and it's just clear, like there's been a lot of great receivers come through Columbus. He is a cut above all of them and it's not a knock against any of them. Even, you know, especially the last few years, there's been a lineage of great Ohio statewide receivers. But uh, this guy is something special. He's something that really Ohio State fans have never seen before. I think most college football fan bases have never seen before at that receiver spot, you know, and you want to make sure to appreciate these people while they're here, even covering someone like that. You know, I think it was you tried to get that message across when Justin Fields, when CJ Stroud were in their final few games of, Hey, you've got to appreciate this guy while he's here and not, you know, get so caught up in, I guess the emotions when you're losing these games to Michigan. And, you know, regardless of how it goes for Marvin down the stretch, obviously he could still go out there, beat Michigan, help lead this team to a national title, accomplish 
all those great heights and go down as one of the greatest players, period, in the history of the program. But regardless, he's someone special you need to enjoy and appreciate while he's still here because it's only going to be for a few more games. Uh, almost 100% certainty on that. Now, of course, part of Marvin putting up those kind of numbers is the play of his quarterback. And I think we would both agree that Kyle McCord had his best game yet as Ohio State's quarterback on Saturday against Michigan State. He completed a career-high 24 passes for a career-high 335 yards, 77.4% completion percentage, 10.8 passing yards per attempt three touchdowns with zero interceptions. And obviously Michigan State isn't that good. Like I did see some comments from fans where like, if he does this in two weeks, I'll be impressed. And I get that. That's a, that's a fair sentiment. He's going to be judged on how well he plays against Michigan. That's just the way it goes for an Ohio State quarterback. I mean, you mentioned C.J. Stroud. I feel like C.J. Stroud is actually more appreciated by Ohio State fans now than he was at any point when he played for Ohio State because uh, I think there were people who were so fixated on the two losses to Michigan or the fact that he didn't run the ball that I don't think he ever quite was appreciated as much as he should have been as an Ohio state quarterback. And I think now that we're talking about this guy being in the NFL MVP race with how well he's playing. I think now Ohio state fans have realized, yeah, that, that guy was special. He, he was something else, but uh, getting back to the here and now with, with Kyle McCord, Obviously, there's still some questions about Kyle, you know, going into that Michigan game and, and whether, you know, he's the guy that can lead Ohio State back to glory in that game. But I do think this game against Michigan State, to me, it wasn't just Kyle beating up on a bad, bad opponent. To me, I, I thought it was real improvement from Kyle. I think he made a couple of his best throws of the year in this game. I think in particular, the first touchdown pass to Marv and uh, the last touchdown pass of the first half to Cade Stover. I mean, both of those were, were perfectly thrown balls. You know, on the one to Cade Stover, Cade had to make a great adjustment for the ball, but there was really only one place that Kyle could put that ball, and that's where he put it to get it in between two defenders. And so I think we saw Kyle uh, make some great throws in that game, and I think his, his poise in the pocket too, I think that's something that's, you know, been a, concern for Kyle over the course of a year of, you know, him, you know, throwing off his back foot or, you know, taking some, some bad sacks. But I, I thought in this game, I thought he looked as composed as he ever has in, in the pocket. And, and I, I, I came out of Saturday's game feeling better about Kyle's ability to lead this team to victories down the stretch than I did going into it. Yeah, I mean, look, regardless of opponent, good th good throws are good throws, you know? Kyle, in this game, had a lot of balls that were on the money, the throws that you mentioned. Uh, that throw to Marvin, uh, I think, might have been the best throw of his season. The, the uh, first touchdown pass for him, the second touchdown for Marvin, when you talk about the rushing score he had before. Uh, that ball was placed perfectly on the outside shoulder uh, just far enough so that Marvin could extend his hands and make a play on it, keep his feet in bounds, and score a touchdown for Ohio State, you know, with a safety that was pretty well in coverage there, or, or corner, whichever it was. But very well-placed ball from Kyle on that throw, and you mentioned the one to Cade Stover. But it was also, to me, the consistency, Dan. I mean, against Penn State, against other opponents this year, there have been times when he's missed easy throws. And then maybe made a really good throw a couple plays later, but 
he's had that oh, those ups and downs as we've seen him develop over the course of this year. And there were just less downs in this game, right? There were less throws that he missed that were gimmies that were against soft coverage to wide open targets. You know, the throws that a guy gets separation and you've just got to give him a ball that's catchable. He didn't miss really any throws like that that come to mind. I, I mean, you talk, everyone wants to talk about the throws, you know, again, that we've mentioned to Marvin and Cade, but those are the ones that really speak to the consistency. And another play I want to point out in this discussion, it happened on the first drive. You have a botch snap near midfield after you've made a couple first downs to get just into Michigan State territory. And a play that can easily be a turnover, easily be a loss of 20, easily be an intentional grounding, easily be forced and it turns into an interception or something. And McCord wisely throws it at the feet of, a, of a, an eligible receiver and they reset on second and 10. And you go, oh, well, after all that, now you still have a second and 10. And what do you know? They go score a touchdown that drive. Those are the kinds of little things that go into being a great game manager, a great quarterback. Overall, because not every play is going to work. You've got to be able to avoid the big mistake, the costly mistake, and live to play another down. And so that's what Kyle has shown. Also, more of an ability to do over the course of the season, making less big mistakes that could hurt the team. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that uh, you, could, you, you feel like he's becoming more of a veteran here, and you're starting to feel more of that veteran presence. And I think just as a whole, I think that first half against Michigan State for Ohio State, I think was the best half of offensive football we have seen from this Ohio State team this year. It was, it was a first time since the Notre Dame game where Ohio State had all of its starters back on offense. And it, and it felt like, okay, this is what we've been waiting to see from Ohio State's offense. It didn't continue in the second half, mostly because they started pulling starters at halftime and, and took their foot off the gas, obviously trying to keep the team as fresh as possible for that Michigan game in a couple of weeks. You would expect more of a same this week against Minnesota uh, that you know Ohio State is ideally the goal is going to be again to get out to a really fast start, look great in the first half, and then try to get guys out of there in the second half of that that Michigan game looming. Of course, you never know how it's going to play out. You might need four quarters to beat Minnesota. You don't know that. So we'll see how it plays out. But, you know, certainly I think you'd love to take what just happened this past Saturday and you'd love to see that again for another half against Minnesota. I think if you do that, then you'll have reason to go into that Michigan game with some confidence when you know your offense is going to have to be at its best against what might be the best defense in the country. Yeah, it's all about building, you know, week after week and getting off to more of those fast starts. It starts at quarterback. You know, we just talked about the improvements McCord has made, and I don't think it's a coincidence that the team has gotten off to faster starts as he's gotten off to faster starts, right? Uh, the quarterback goes as the team goes. The team goes as the quarterback goes. It often goes hands in hand in football. But also, you know, the offensive line has been protecting him better, and they've been running the ball better, you know, uh, getting – Travion Henderson back. I think it's been clear just how big of an impact that's been. Uh, we've talked about that in previous weeks, but they've also been paving the road for him better. When you talk about 
what they've seen from Josh Simmons. Uh, Ryan Day was lauding him today and the improvements he's made, putting on some great clips on film, he said, and his feet, his hands, his punch have all taken big steps. Carson Hinsman's taken a step at center. Donovan Jackson is starting to play like the player we expected him to be coming into this year. Uh, so a lot of the pieces around McCord have improved, McCord's improved, and that's all led to more consistency and fast starts for this offense. Now, it's different doing it in a doing it against Michigan State versus doing it against Michigan. Of course, we're going to note that. Of course, you need to see it another week here against Minnesota. But every week, it feels this team is taking a step. And their stated goal of playing their best football in November really feels like it's coming to fruition, especially as you're starting to get healthier each week on offense, getting those weapons back. And now Emeka Abuka should be a little healthier uh, going forward as well for this team. Yeah, I think at the least we're seeing the potential of this offense at this point, what we've been waiting to see because, you know, so much of this season, it's just felt like something's been missing from this offense. And so I think to see the offense, you know, fire off that well in the first half uh, against Michigan State, you feel like, all right, like it, it feels like things are coming together. It feels like, okay, this offense is showing what it can be that does it's not going to come as easily uh, against Michigan we know that but it feels like you know things are coming together for what this offense can be I certainly think you know you look at Cade Stover him coming back into the offense against Michigan State after being out against Rutgers I think that certainly made a big difference Cade Stover had seven catches tying his career high for 79 yards and a touchdown in the first half against Michigan State. You know, he's been such a big weapon for this Ohio State offense this year. You know, you mentioned Travion Henderson. You know, Mecca Buka, we, we still haven't seen the full version of him. So you'd certainly love to see that this week against Minnesota to see him get some momentum going, going into that Michigan game where he's going to be more important. You know, the offensive line, I think I'm still, that's probably where I'm more like, Okay, I need to see it against Michigan before I can really believe in this offensive line. But I, I do think a lot of what you said is true. Like I, I think Josh Simmons is a guy who's quietly gotten a lot better as the season has progressed. I do think the guards have been playing better. I think Carson Hinsman's probably been a weak link of the offensive line. And I think that's probably why you saw him come out of a game a little earlier than the other starters against Michigan State. And Matt Jones got some reps at center just to evaluate what he can do there. It, didn't sound, based on what Ryan Day said Tuesday, that any change along the offensive line was imminent, but certainly to see what Matt Jones can can do in that role at least gives them another option should they need it. Uh, so, you know, I, I think with the offensive line for me, I'm still kind of like, let's see what they do against Michigan, and then we can really say if that improvement was real. But it does feel like you, know, you can see the... You can see the potential of this offense now if everything all comes together. And, you know, certainly this is going to be another week for Ohio State to, to try to keep that momentum going in the right direction. Right. And don't get me wrong. Offensive line still my number one concern with this team. I think it was interesting to see Matthew Jones at center, not just for him, but for Enoch Famahi, right? You talk about a guy who the staff has talked up in the past, who has been with the program for so long. In the 
the sliding of Matthew Jones over to center clears the way for him to play guard now. And is he, that's really the upgrade, right? Is if you're putting Matthew Jones at center, you're playing Enoch Vamahi instead of Carson Hensman kind of tangentially. So do you like that combination as opposed to Matthew Jones, right guard, Carson Hensman at center? And how do you then establish that with the offensive line going forward? I think Kind of shifting focus to the defense here, of course. It's it's hard to take a lot away from this game, Dan, uh, because you know Michigan State's pretty anemic on offense. Uh, one of the worst offenses in the country, certainly one of the worst in the Big Ten. Uh, you know, outside the top 100 in a lot of metrics. But the main thing was kind of the depth of the secondary continued to show when you don't have Lathan Ransom, who is expected to be out for multiple weeks, uh, probably through the end of the regular season. We, we've learned recently not having Josh Proctor, who you hope to get back sooner than that, possibly this week, not, you know, some of the pieces that they had to play, particularly Malik Hartford in the back end, you know, he had to play early on that raised some concerns, you know, looked like a freshman missing a tackle on a run, but pretty soon after that showed why the staff likes him so much, really had a nose for the football, led the team in solo tackles with four of them, had a lot to show in this game and to prove why he is a depth option they can be confident in, one of many really in that secondary when you talk about Jermaine Matthews showing up in big spots this year, Jahad Carter bringing in some experience from Syracuse and now getting healthy. All these pieces that you have, I think depth in the secondary hurt them last year as some guys got dinged up. And now this year, it seems to be a strength. They have guys they can count on as the starters go down if they go down. Yeah, I mean, Malik Hartford's kind of a guy that I put kind of in the same boat of what I was just saying at the offensive line where I was impressed by how he played against Michigan State. Like you said, there was, there was one bad missed tackle early after that. I thought he played well. Do I... Is he a guy that I'd feel great about if he had to start against Michigan? I wouldn't go there right now. I, I, I'm not saying I think he would do badly, but I don't, you know, I, I'd certainly feel a lot better about Ohio State's defense if Josh Proctor's out there against Michigan. But I, I do think that, you know, certainly, you know, he, he held his own. I think he did a lot better than he did when he started, but only played a series against Youngstown State. And I certainly agree with your assessment about the depth of the secondary, because you know, we've talked about it before, like Leif and Ransom, I thought Leif and Ransom played great for the first two months of the season. And it still doesn't feel like a massive loss not having him, just because I, I'm confident in what Sonny Styles can do in that strong safety role. He played well in that role so far. So again, the tests are going to get tougher. But what we've seen from him so far, I've been impressed. I mean, Jordan Hancock continues to impress me more and more every week. I mean, he's a guy who wasn't starting for most of a year, and now I, I would rank him as a top 10 player on the team. That's how well Jordan Hancock is playing. And so I think even without Leif and Ransom, I feel really good about that secondary. And I think the one interesting thing that Jim Knowles alluded to on Tuesday is that you get into these bigger games, they don't want Sonny to just play one role. They, they still want to move him around, do some other stuff with him like they did earlier in the year. And so what does that mean in terms of, you know, if you want to have Sonny play nickel for a, a period of time, then is it going to be Jahan Carter who steps in there? Is it going to be Malik Hartford who steps in there? Uh, we don't know that yet, but 
to your point, I think they do feel better about the depth that they have, you know, both at safety and corner. Whereas we saw it last year where it felt like, you know, I mean, I mean, you just think back to that Michigan game. I mean, they put Cam Martinez in there and I think his first play in the game, he gives up a 75 yard touchdown. And so I think you feel better about the pieces. You feel better about the different combinations that you can play on defense to not have those kind of breakdowns happen. Absolutely, you know, and I, you, you're right as far as Jordan Hancock's emergence and Sonny Styles being so versatile and able to play on that back end. It gives you that confidence in that. Um, you know how high I am on Josh Proctor. I think your best lineup definitely is having Josh Proctor out there as opposed to Malik Hartford. It just gives you that assurance to have a guy who's shown it, who's put it on the field and really showed up in some big spots. Now, another guy who might be injured, might not, Dan. There's they said there's no update on him as of this as of this week. Mike Hall Jr., uh, we saw him play two series against Michigan State, then didn't get back in the game. Sounds like he's out for some reason right now, um, whether that's an injury or some something else, but um, not to speculate on that. But uh, Ty Hamilton really showed a lot of disruption there. Uh, perhaps playing an increased role might be called upon that to play more of an increased role as the season goes forward here. And also, you know, another position where I think Ohio state likes their depth, maybe more than in the past, you know, Jim Knowles touched on today, what he likes from hero canoe really. And he's shown this year in practice in games when he's gotten his shots, Jane McKenzie has some experience at that position. So if Ohio state is without Mike Hall moving forward, then it can feel confident knowing it has Ty Hamilton and maybe some pieces it likes behind uh, he and Ty Leak there on the interior. Yeah, you'd certainly like to have my call. I mean, you'd certainly like to not have, I mean, if you just go up the middle of the defense right now, you've got Mike Hall, you've got Tommy Eichenberg, you've got Leif and Ransom and Josh Proctor all dealing with injuries. So you'd certainly like to not be in that position with less than two weeks to go before the Michigan game. But again, I, I just think the depth as a whole on this defense this year is a lot stronger than it was last year. You know, I think Cody Simon's a guy that every time they put him out there, he, he's played well. And so I think they feel, again, Tommy Eichenberg's certainly a guy you want to have back on the field next week against Michigan. And it sounds like they will, if not already this week. But, you know, Cody Simon's a guy I think they have a lot of confidence in right now, whether it's Mike or Will, that he can go in there and get the job done. And so, you know, I think that's a good peace of mind to have at linebacker. And then, you know, a defensive tackle, I mean, I think you certainly lose something if you don't have Mike Hall out there because I think, you know, Tyleek and Mike Hall are certainly Ohio State's two most dynamic players at that position. But it does feel to me like we've, we've seen Ty Hamilton take a step forward these last couple of weeks. J Jim Knowles didn't necessarily agree with that assessment when I asked him about that on Tuesday. He His response was basically that he thinks Ty and all those defensive tackles have been making plays all year. And I don't think Ty has played poorly at any point this year, but it feels to me like the last couple of weeks, he's been more noticeable. And some of that might just do to do with the fact that he's playing more snaps. But I know to me, I've noticed Ty more the last couple of weeks in, in a way that I didn't as much during the first couple months of the season. And certainly if he's going to move into being that, you know, full-time starting nose tackle for any period of time, they're going to need him to continue making plays. Right. It's just a continuation of 
you know, this production from the defense uh, and, you know, some of those depth pieces, some of the young guys stepping up. Uh, but, you know, it's not just those guys you know, stepping up on defense, you know, that are going to be counted on this year. Michigan State finally gave us an opportunity to get an extended look from some other young players just across the board for Ohio State. You know, among some of those standouts, they pointed to Calvin Simpson Hunt as a guy who really stood out to him making some plays in the open field defensively on special teams, maybe. Uh, Jermaine Matthews continued to play well when he got his chances. It was our first Real look at uh, Lincoln Keenholz there playing in the uh, at the quarterback position, and Jelani Thurman um, made his first two catches of his Ohio State career. Uh, and who amongst those guys, or maybe someone else, stood out in particular to you, Dan, as far as a future piece for this Ohio State team? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think Jermaine Matthews is a guy who stood out every time he's played this year. I think he's a guy who just, you know, you feel comfortable with him out there. Uh, whenever he needs to play because he's just delivered every time and the moment never feels too big for him. Uh, certainly, Ryan Day seemed to be very impressed with, with Calvin Simpson Hunt, and so he seems like a guy whose stock is rising late in this season, maybe not necessarily to play a significant role the rest of this year, but I think in terms of what he can be in the future, I, I think he's a guy that they like what they're seeing. And if and if a situation was to rise where they needed him to play, I think they'd probably feel a lot better about that now than maybe they would have in September or October. And you know, I thought we saw some good things from Jelani Furman too, which I think is interesting because you know tight end depth has been a question mark for this team. O- Ohio State has seemed hesitant to, to play Jelani Furman in any situation where the game is on the line. But you you could see that natural playmaking ability that he has that probably outside of Cade Stover, he probably has the most natural playmaking ability of any tight end on this team. And so could that lead to some playing time for, for Jelani Furman down the stretch? I don't necessarily expect it because I feel like if it was going to happen, it might have happened by now. But, uh, you know, I, you, you do see him out there making plays and it does make you wonder, is this a guy that maybe should have been playing a little bit more a little bit sooner? Right. You know, and he's got a lot of talent, you know, coming out of Georgia there. Um, always liked his skill set as a high school prospect. And he was ranked third at that position, tight end position in his class for a reason. Just a guy that, if nothing else has a very bright future, I think at Ohio state, and I would expect to be a contributor next year. If he's not a contributor down the stretch here, you know, as you alluded to, you know, probably not a high likelihood of that because we would have seen it by now. I think it's a pretty well-defined tight end rotation with Kate Stover and G Scott leading the way this right now for Ohio state. But Jelani Thurman is a guy that it was good to see him show why he drew the praise he did as a recruit and show why he's got a very bright future as soon as next year for Ohio State. Now, you mentioned earlier Michigan uh, finally you know, playing a major opponent this past weekend in Penn State, and Michigan handled that test. Uh, even without Jim Harbaugh on the sidelines, the Wolverines got a 24-15 win over Penn State in Happy Valley, which sets up what's likely going to be an 11-0 versus 11-0 matchup in Ann Arbor next week. Michigan still has to beat Maryland this week. Ohio State still has to beat Minnesota this week. But uh, it's certainly looking likely like that's going to be a battle of top three ranked unbeaten teams a week from now. And, you know, watching Michigan on 
Saturday. There were some things that certainly impressed me, and and there there are some questions I have about Michigan coming out of that game as well. I think you you look at the offensive side of a ball. Uh, Michigan's rushing offense looked really strong. Wolverines had 227 yards and three touchdowns on the ground. That's by far the most Penn State has allowed all year. And for a Michigan team that hadn't necessarily been as explosive running the ball this year as it had been last year, it seemed like that really came to life in the biggest game of the year. And so that's certainly something that Ohio State uh, is going to have to be prepared for in two weeks. On the other hand, Michigan didn't pass the ball once in the second half. Uh, Michigan, uh, it, it completed all but one of its passing attempts in the game, but it only attempted eight passes, seven of eight for 60 yards in the first half. And so that certainly leads to questions of, I mean, this is a Michigan team, but I mean, even against Penn State, because Penn State was not able to do much offensively, Michigan has yet to be in a situation this year where it needs to make a drive with the game on the line. And so it certainly leaves the question there of if Michigan needs to pass the ball to win the game in the fourth quarter, can it do it? Does, does it, does it trust JJ McCarthy and its receivers ability to do it? Because Michigan completely abandoned the passing game in the second half of this game. And so I come out of that game thinking, Stopping the run may be the number one key to an Ohio State victory next week. I think if Ohio State can stop the run, I, I feel pretty good about Ohio State's chances right now of winning that game next week. I still have some questions, though, about whether Ohio State can stop a r- rushing game of that magnitude. Because we've talked about it before. For as good as this Ohio State defense has been, there have been times where it's looked a little bit vulnerable in the run game. And I don't think we've really seen any team commit consistently to the run game against Ohio State, in large part because most teams can't because they fall into a a deficit that they have to come back from late in the game. But Michigan's the kind of team, I mean, you expect this game to be very tight. Michigan's a team that's not going to be afraid to, to committing to the run game if it feels like it, that's its best way to win the game. And because of that, you know, I, I look ahead to that matchup next week, and I think this game may come down to how well Ohio State can stop the run. Yeah, uh, Blake Corum is a really good running back, in case people forgot. Uh, he was a Heisman candidate last year, after all. Um, and he really impressed me in this game. Um, just his style is, he's so good about following blocks and really playing off of his linemen, being patient when he needs to, but then he just makes these tight little cuts to kind of, he's just, he's hard to tackle because he's always playing behind somebody. And once he does finally reveal himself to a defense, he's playing behind his pads, always driving his legs, churning out extra yards. He's a really good fit for what Michigan does offensively in terms of running the ball downhill. And, I think those questions about Ohio State having a true block-eating one-tech, Ohio State being able to stop those quick-hitting runs that I think Maryland found some success with at times, Rutgers found some success with certainly at times, Michigan State broke off a couple in this game uh, in those kinds of quick-hitting spaces with the running game. And Michigan's going to do a lot of that. And I think 
one thing that I will give this defense credit for in a lot of ways is adjustments. They have bowed their neck when they needed to and made the stops when they needed to to prevent points in those situations. But also, you know, when teams found those successes running the ball, they found ways to make changes and counter those adjustments and stop the same place from working as the game progressed. I think the fact that Michigan is going to enter this game with that game plan being known, you know Michigan's going to want to hit you with those kinds of runs. I'll be interested to see if Ohio State comes out with a game plan that's ready to stop those off the bat and really have a game plan focused on forcing J.J. to beat them with his arm and making throws down the field. Um, I think the secondary has shown it can hold up if you want to commit to the run this year, and especially if you have Josh Proctor in. I like their chances in terms of being able to commit to stopping the run game and forcing Michigan to do more through the air to progress the ball down the field. So yeah, I do think this game will come down to whether Ohio State can stop the run and run the ball on its own end because they're going to need to be a two-dimensional offense to make progress against this defense. Yes, you know, we talked about it earlier. They ran the ball well the last few weeks after they got Travion Henderson back. The offensive line has looked better against some worse defenses in terms of defending the run. And Michigan's defense is a whole other animal in that regard, and you have to have both ready. You can't just rely on Marvin Harrison and Cade Stover in the passing game to bail you out in this one. You have to have balance offensively in order to score the points it's going to take to win this game. So you've got to run the ball, you've got to stop the run. And that's often, that's what a lot of football game games come down to, winning that battle up front and doing both of those things. But I think especially pertinent in this game coming up, Dan, as you alluded to. I think so too, because Michigan's currently ranks number one in the country in, in pass defense. And so this is going to be a hard team to pass the ball against. Now, you know, we said the same thing about Penn State going into that game and Marvin still had a huge game. So, uh, you know, this is Ohio State's offense is going to be the best that Michigan has faced all year. Honestly, probably the best passing offense Michigan will have faced all year to this point is going to be Maryland on Saturday. So I think we might learn a little bit more about Michigan's pass defense when, when they play Maryland this week. But you know, if, if you're looking for where could the weak spot be in Michigan's defense, you would look at the run defense because uh, Penn State did have some success running the ball against Michigan. They, they ran for 164 yards and a touchdown. Uh, they did not have a good day passing the ball, 74 yards and a touchdown. Now, Penn State didn't have a good day passing the ball against Ohio State either. So I am somewhat more confident in Ohio State's ability to make plays through the air against Michigan, but I don't think they can rely on it. I, I think, like you said, this is a game where Ohio State has to be two-dimensional on offense. And so, you know, it, it's one of those games, you know, you, know we can, we can, you can try to boil it down to one thing or another, but the reality is these are two of, in my mind, Ohio State and Michigan, along with Georgia, are two of the three best teams in the country. And so what's it going to take to beat Michigan? It's going to take a complete game. And I mean, you, we, you, you talk about it on the defense. I mean, that was the game plan last year, was sell out to stop the run and make Michigan beat you through the air. The problem was the, the secondary was not good enough last year for Ohio State to execute that game plan successfully. This year, I, I, I think it is. I still think Ohio State has to be careful. I think 
there's clearly been some philosophical change with Jim Knowles this year in not giving up a big play. And so you can't just go back and run back what you did last year. You you have to do uh, some 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 different things. But I also do think that the the personnel gives Ohio State more ability to be aggressive and to to be able to trust it, its defensive backs. And so uh, a lot of it is going to come down to that. I mean, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Ohio State is going to need uh, great execution on on both sides of a ball to have a chance in this game. But I'll, but I'll ask you, Andy, coming out of watching that game Saturday, do you feel more confident or less confident in Ohio State's chances of beating Michigan? More, I think, for some of the reasons we've already discussed that, you know, Michigan didn't show a lot of threat throwing the ball in that game and Ohio State's had an improved defensive uh, set. But it was all I mean, it was also what Ohio State did against Michigan State and finally finding that rhythm on offense. But as it pertains to just Michigan, Penn State, I don't it really felt like to me, Dan, and you can I'd be interested to see if you agree with this. I really think Ohio State, it felt like they were more in control against Penn State than Michigan was. Now, Michigan was on the road. It's different playing in Happy Valley as opposed to, you know, Ohio State was at home. But I never really felt like Penn State was a threat to Ohio State when the two teams played back in October. I felt like Penn State was in this game at certain points, not down the stretch, really. I think Michigan took control as, you know, Penn State's offense continued to flounder. One of the reasons why we saw Mike Yurcich sacked (laughs) right after that game, you know, Penn State firing its offensive coordinator there. But to me, I, I felt like there were stretches in this game where it really felt like Penn State was a threat to beat Michigan. And I just never got that sense when Ohio State played Penn State. Now, transitive property isn't really a thing in college football. There are numbers you can point to, you know, Michigan having more success on the ground, et cetera, et cetera. To me, I came away from Saturday, both because of what Ohio State did and of the results of Michigan Penn State with more confidence than I had before that Ohio State can go to Ann Arbor and win uh, here in, well, it'll be 10 days as of you all listening to this. So um, I'm curious where you stand on that, Dan. But but for me, I think my, my confidence did rise that Ohio State could win that game. Yeah, in terms of a game control, I mean, to me, it was pretty similar. I mean, Ohio State won by eight points. Michigan won by nine. In both cases, Penn State had a late drive after the other team had gained full control to make the score more respectable. I mean, I never really felt like late in that game, like Penn State was much of a threat just because uh, they weren't moving the ball offensively. And and the same was true against Ohio State. And so I I don't necessarily come away from either game going, I wouldn't say that, you know, between Ohio State versus Penn State, Michigan versus Penn State, but I was significantly more impressed one way or the other with either team's performance against Penn State. I do agree with you, though, that I came out of Saturday's game more confident in Ohio State's chances of beating Michigan. And a lot of that is because of the way Michigan abandoned the passing game. I mean, the fact that Michigan itself seemingly had no confidence in in its passing game and in a close game, it, it seemingly had no confidence in its ability to make plays through the air. Now, I I don't discount the passing game because we went into last year's game against Michigan 
thinking, well, Michigan hasn't really done a whole lot for Vieiras here. It's all going to be about stopping a run. And then JJ McCarthy throws for almost 300 yards. And so maybe they're trying to make people believe that they can't pass the ball again. And then they'll prove to be more capable of doing that against Ohio State. But because of the fact that, you know, Michigan came out of that game throwing for only 60 yards, I, I do feel more confident because of the fact that I do think that if Ohio State can stop a run, it's going to have a good chance to win this game. I mean, I fully expect this game to be a very close game either way between Ohio State and Michigan. I, I expect it to be a fairly low-scoring game. Uh, I would pick it to be both teams scoring somewhere in the 20s. And I honestly, I predicted that for Notre Dame and Penn State and, and the games were even lower scoring than that. And so if this ends up being an even lower scoring game where teams are in the teens, I won't be surprised because the, right now, statistically, these are the number one and number two defenses in the country. And so I think it is going to be very much a defensive battle. But also to your point, Andy, it does feel like Ohio State's offense is finding something to where you know, I do not expect Ohio State to put a big number on the scoreboard against this Michigan defense, but I have more confidence than maybe I would have a week or two ago in the offense's ability to score enough points to beat Michigan if Ohio State's defense keeps playing at the same level it has all year. Right. And, you know, I said this to my friends. I have my doubts that either team reaches 30 in this game. Um, I know my score prediction as it's evolving right now has both teams in the 20s. I, I, th I just think that's the kind of game it's going to be. It's going to be a knockdown, uh, drag out defensive battle with some big plays intermixed. They're going to swing the game. Really a matchup game. And I think what uh, I think the main takeaway I have that is has more confidence in um, Ohio State to beat Michigan from this weekend is I just think it feels like more of a matchup than it did before where we finally saw a game where Michigan, you know, obviously beat Penn state and took control of the game down the stretch, as you said, but they were in the mud for a little bit. You know, it wasn't just, they went out there and dominated Penn state, you know, and it looks similar to Ohio state Penn state game in many ways, as we said, or as you said. Um, and, you know, I, I just feel like, as the season has progressed here where you felt like Michigan was a more complete team than Ohio State at times. Now I'm not so sure because they didn't throw the ball because of um, you know Penn State being able to run it at times. Overall, I think there's just some lingering concerns, some doubts and some things that are going to going to rear their head in that game and, and make it a very close knockout battle, like like we've said. Um, now, we're not sure if we're going to have Harbaugh on the sideline for that game. That is another piece of this. This week, Big Ten Commissioner Tony Petiti, as we mentioned earlier, ruled that Harbaugh will not, or ruled that Harbaugh is going to be suspended for the rest of the regular season by the Big Ten. Now, they have appealed that suspension to a court. Uh, Michigan has trying to get a TRO to essentially allow Harbaugh to coach in those games, kind of get that ruling, you know, use the courts to allow Harbaugh to get on the field and kind of challenge the Big Ten's ruling in that matter. Dan, how big of a deal is it to have Harbaugh on the sidelines in those games? And do you expect that um, Michigan will be able to get its TRO and, and, and see Harbaugh coach in, uh, you know, against Ohio State? 
Yeah, I'm not a legal expert, so I'm not even going to try to predict what's going to happen in that hearing on Friday (laughs) because I just don't know. But I do think, you know, in terms of the game, in terms of we talk about, you know, the predictions we'll be making next week, I'm not sure whether Harbaugh being able to coach in the game or not is going to have any impact on my prediction. I mean, Michigan is now because of his other suspension for the other violations uh, that Michigan has now played four games this year without Harbaugh. Obviously this past week was their biggest game of the season and they took care of business without Harbaugh in the game. And I think that's an important distinction here on this suspension is that Harbaugh is only suspended for the game. He's still able to coach the team during the week. And so I think, in my mind, it would make a bigger impact if Harbaugh wasn't allowed to coach the team at all for three weeks. That's that he can still be involved in the game plan all the way up to game day makes me think that, you know, I don't know that it's going to have a drastic impact on this game one way or the other. Now, I'm sure if you're a Michigan fan looking at it, if Ohio State wins this game, you're going to immediately point to, well, we didn't have Jim Harbaugh if he's suspended for the game. And so because of that, like from my vantage point, I honestly hope Michigan wins that court order on Friday and that Jim Harbaugh is on the sidelines. Because, I mean, you talked about that Ryan Day versus Jim Harbaugh storyline. That storyline's not going to be the same if Jim Harbaugh isn't actually there coaching. And so to me, I. You know, you know, if 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 you're just thinking about all all you want is Ohio State to win the game, then you know any any advantage you're going to take it. But to me, I want to see both teams at their best, firing on all cylinders in this game that we've been looking forward to all year. And so, I want to see Jim Harbaugh on the sideline for the game. I don't, I don't. If he's not, I don't think it's going to take anything away from the game because. I mean, Michigan, if anything, is just going to be more hungry if it doesn't have Jim Harbaugh. And I certainly don't think that Ohio State is going to lose any of its hunger if Harbaugh isn't there. But I'd still like to see Jim Harbaugh coaching in the game so that you don't have that potential excuse looming over the game from Michigan's side if Ohio State wins. Right. I think. I share your exact sentiment on that. Uh, the, the main reason that you know I want Harbaugh on the sideline is to avoid that excuse. I don't think it's uh, going to impact, impact how the team plays one way or another. Um, I think there was some galvanization and some motivation that happened this week with Penn State just getting the initial news of the suspension. I think that might happen again this week with, you know, if the judge approves, denies the order, whatever, if... Uh, He's not able to coach again, maybe again. You see that, you know, the whole bet thing on Twitter, whatever else happened with all that. I think that might happen again this week. But by week three, without him, the courts, whatever they decide, whatever the Big Ten has decided is kind of in the rear view. I think all that's going to take a backseat in terms of motivating Michigan and not really be a factor in that sense. And Harbaugh's imprint, like you said, being there throughout the week, being there in preparations is still going to be on the team. I don't think him being on the sideline versus not is going to have an impact in terms of game day management. They'll be just fine without him. They have been. So for me, yeah, no impact on the game whatsoever if he coaches or not. In my mind, it's just 
you know, Michigan fans are going to use that as an excuse. The media might even. And you don't want that to take away from the narrative, from the storyline, if Ohio State beats Michigan. Now, if he's not there and that Michigan wins, I think that's also going to be something they say is that didn't even need hardball. You just, we just won without him, you know? And uh, so either way, I think it's kind of a reductive thing that's going to come from them. And so you, you want to see hardball coach just for that reason. Otherwise, uh, again, I don't see an impact that it has on this game either way. Uh, but it is another storyline to follow going in in a game that has no shortage of them. Even without all the sign-stealing stuff, there were going to be a lot of narratives surrounding this game. And it's just added a whole other layer to it to see Michigan try and adopt this victim mentality and call itself America's team when it uh, perpetrated a large-scale, alleged large-scale cheating scandal uh, for years whether or not Harbaugh knew about it, don't really care there uh, because he should have known if he didn't. Uh, that's just my personal opinion on that matter. But And again, all allegations at this point, still nothing officially, officially proven, I guess, even though the, you know now we've seen punishments handed down and the NCAA told the Big Ten, hey, we can prove this, you know, but uh, still alleged for now. It's just that it's, it, again, my main point in saying all of that is there is so much storyline surrounding this Michigan game. And I think perhaps the biggest evidence, Dan, is I don't think we've mentioned Minnesota in over half an hour. Um, the team Ohio State actually plays this week. So I, I don't know if you want to jump into that or if you, you had any more to add here on this, uh, the whole Michigan fiasco that is brewing, the, the showdown in, in, in Ann Arbor that we are getting in 10 days. Well, given those comments you just made, I'm, I'm curious what your opinion is on the Big Ten's discipline because to me it feels like kind of a half measure for the big 10 here to suspend harbaugh only from games it feels to me like tony petiti and the big 10 felt like they had to do something but they didn't want to go too far because one they're probably afraid of michigan's legal action and two and this investigation's not over yet there's also has yet to be any evidence directly linking Jim Harbaugh to this. And while I agree with you that Jim Harbaugh, at a minimum, should have been aware that this was happening in his program, and it does sound like the NCAA has very real evidence against Michigan as a program here. I mean, according to the Big Ten's official disciplinary notice, the NCAA said it, quote, knew and could prove that Connor Stallions had orchestrated this impermissible sign-stealing scheme. And so the question really becomes now, can the NCAA find proof that other staffers were in on it? Or can Michigan's defense that this was just a rogue operation by Connor Stallions, can that ultimately hold up if the NCAA does not find evidence directly linking Stallions to Jim Harbaugh or coordinators or anyone else? on the staff. But, you know, I, I feel like the Big Ten kind of took a half measure here in terms of we got to do something, but we don't want to go too far. How do you feel about it, Andy? I agree with you. And I'm not sure I expected or even think the Big Ten should have done more because it's like, well, what? How how much is too much? You know, at, at this stage of the season, middle of the season, Connor Stallions has ultimately resigned no longer affiliated with the program. The sign stealing isn't ongoing, even if they might have, you know, Ohio state signs already. 
from the the operation it's it's you know it's a very touchy area where you can't just impose such sanctions immediately on Michigan where it gives them no chance to compete the rest of the year, right? I mean, can you suspend coordinators? Can you totally remove Harbaugh from all the day-to-day operations? I mean, what? how far is too far in this instance? And yes, it's a half measure. Like I said, I really don't think Harbaugh has, Harbaugh not being on the sideline has much of an impact, if any negative impact on Michigan in these games, but what more could the Big Ten do when the NCAA is ultimately the person, the entity that has to decide the full breadth of the punishment that Michigan has dealt in this situation? As it pertains to, you know, what the NCAA will and can do, what I think of, you know, what Michigan's ultimate punishment, ultimate fate should be. You know, four words exist for a reason in this, and it's lack of institutional control. Um, That's been something that we've seen brought up many times in this whole, you know, investigation and all of it. And it was made specifically by the NCAA to circumvent the type of arguments Michigan has been making. And it's what's been driving me crazy the last month, Dan. Plausible deniability isn't a thing in college football. It's not. Not from an NCAA perspective. The Big Ten has different rules, different sportsmanship policies, etc., right? Maybe if Harbaugh knew it was relevant to them, but it's not relevant to the NCAA. Because if he didn't know, then they get hit with lack of institutional control because he should have. It's his job. And it was made specifically because coaches in the past, back in more sketchy eras of college football, or maybe equally sketchy, but back when it was easier to perpetrate, you know, illegal shenanigans coaches would have a guy or people on staff who would handle backdoor dealings and not tell them about it so it's like oh i can just say i didn't know you know that's 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 the whole concept of plausible deniability i don't think that's a foreign concept to a lot of people that's why lack of institutional control exists whether or not Harbaugh knew, whether he went out of his way not to know something like this was happened, and none of it matters. It's it's lack of institutional control if he didn't. So really, from the NCAA perspective, I don't care to the extent Harbaugh knew or didn't. It's going to be the same punishment regardless. Whatever happened, the allegations, the punishments Michigan's going to be hit with, it's going to be based on what happened, not the extent of knowledge from any top down. The fact is it happened. It gave them a competitive advantage on the field that they weren't supposed to have. If again, if the allegations are proved true. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you that I don't necessarily think the big 10 should have done more here because I don't know how much of this should really be the big 10's authority. But I also agree that I think more punishments are coming for Michigan. What exactly those punishments are going to look like. I don't know. I would guess that there's a good chance there's going to be some vacated wins and Big Ten championships in there. I wouldn't rule out the possibility of Big T- of Michigan getting a postseason ban next year. I, I don't. I wouldn't say I'm confident that will happen because the NCAA has said that it wants to move away from those punishments that ban the current players for things that happened in the past. And so I don't know that that will happen. But you know, I, I think for the Big Ten to going right now and ban Michigan from a Big Ten championship game. I think as much as 
other fan bases may have wanted to see that happen. I think that may have been a bit extreme for the Big Ten to do that in the midst of an ongoing investigation. But I don't rule out the possibility that Michigan could potentially have to serve a postseason ban in the future as a sanction of this. Because, you know, I, I, I know I said a couple of weeks before on the show that I'm not a fan of, of vacating wins. But I, I will say that I have thought about that a little bit more since that last show with the fact that, you know, what's being alleged here is pretty unprecedented in terms of the lengths that Connor Stallions and anyone else involved in this scandal may have been in terms of trying to get an impermissible advantage over opponents. So I think because of that, there's maybe more of a valid argument toward vacating wins than when we're talking about players getting money or tattoos or cars or whatever. I mean, this is something that what Connor Stallions allegedly did had a direct impact on the games being played. And so I'm not necessarily for or against vacating wins in this case, but I I can't say that I'd argue against it if the NCAA goes that route because of the fact that in this case, what Connor Stallions did, did have a direct impact on football games. Absolutely. You know, and look, I'm not one to discuss punishments or, or speculate, you know, what they should be because it's just the NCAA is so inconsistent when it comes to dealing out punishment. But yeah, I think vacating wins is something that's a little more apt in this case because of how directly this influenced the result of games. You know, this isn't like tattoo gate for Ohio State where players made some money or exchange goods they weren't supposed to, you know, in terms of team memorabilia off the field. And, you know, they got impermissible benefits that way, which didn't ultimately directly impact the results of games. This literally led to helping Michigan win games in the best stretch of football it's had in quite some time, Dan. And did they have great teams? Yes. Might they have won every single one of those games if they didn't have that impermissible advantage? Yes. I'm willing to admit all that. But at the same time, they did it. And there's always going to be that asterisk there, regardless of whether or not those wins get vacated. As you mentioned, Ohio State does still have a game to play against Minnesota this week. So we should probably talk about that for a few minutes before a little bit. we get out of here. The reason why we're an hour into a show and we're just now talking about Minnesota is the reality is this is not a Minnesota team that should give Ohio State a serious challenge this weekend. Minnesota is better than Michigan State, but not by much. Minnesota is coming off a 49-30 to 30 loss to Purdue in which they allowed 604 yards of offense. Uh, Gophers are five and five, so they're still in the hunt for uh, potentially earning a bowl bid. So they're not a terrible team, but they're at best a below average Big Ten team on both sides of the ball, uh, particularly on offense. They rank outside the top 100 nationally in both scoring and total offense. And so I don't see this team posing much threat to Ohio State's defense. And I, I don't think their defense is really any measurably better than Michigan State. And so to me, I, I view this as a very comparable game to, to last week. I do think 
you know, one thing I'll say about Minnesota is I do think they have a couple of game-changing kind of players where, you know, Michigan State game, it was really hard to identify even one player of it. It's like, man, they really got to watch out for this guy. I, I do think Minnesota has a couple of those players. That starts with Tyler Newbin at safety. Pro Football Focus currently grades him as the best safety in the country this year. He's a legit All-American candidate, a likely early-round NFL draft pick. He's certainly a guy to watch when Ohio State has the ball. Uh, when Minnesota has the ball, uh, Daniel Jackson is a guy to watch. He's the third leading receiver in the Big Ten, and so he's somebody who will pose a test to Ohio State's secondary, although I don't know how much Minnesota's quarterback is going to do that, which honestly I'm not looking at the name right now, so I'm not even going to try to try to say it because it's a, a long Greek name, but he has not been particularly good this year, and so – I, I view this as a similar game as last week, where I think the goal for Ohio State is to start fast, dominate the first half, go into halftime with a comfortable lead, and then start taking some of your starters out and try to come out of that game as healthy as possible, knowing what lies ahead a week from now. Yeah, you know, this is a Minnesota team that's in some transition. When you talk about Ethan Kaliak Manis, uh, that, that is the name of the quarterback there, the long Greek name. Um, I've watched a little too much Minnesota football, honestly. Ethan Kaliak Manis uh, replacing Tanner Morgan, who was their, their guy for, you know, four seasons as a starter and one of the best quarterbacks in Minnesota history, but also one of the best players, period, in Minnesota history, Mohamed Ibrahim. I think Ohio State fans might know him well. He had a good game, you know, against Ohio State there not too long ago ago and talk about what he did in 2021 before he got injured in that game and then missed the rest of the season comes back sets minnesota's career rushing record last year um a another program staple staple who you know they had a freshman in darius taylor who looked like he might be the next big thing on the ground for them had three straight games over 130 yards earlier this year and then got hurt um, he's only played five games and still leads the team in rushing despite having played literally half their games um, so if, if that doesn't tell you something about Minnesota's offense and where it stands right now, I don't know what else does. Um, they comparably are pretty bad uh, when you talk about comparing them to Michigan State. Comparably pretty bad uh, on that side of the ball. Decent defensively, but I, I don't think decent enough to actually challenge and really you know, slow Ohio State down in this game. Kind of a boiling point game, as I've referred to games in the past where... This is a it's an okay defense, but when you're playing the talent Ohio State has on the offensive side, especially at the skill positions, you're just not going to match up well. Outside of Tyler Newbin, as you mentioned, does a lot of things for that defense, second in tackles, four interceptions. A guy that Kyle McCord will need to watch out for. And overall, I think that's the thing you look for, particularly on the offensive side of the ball for Ohio State in this game is, do you continue to build off that momentum you found in the Michigan State game? Do you come out fast, put this team away early, rest guys for next week, and show, you know, again, that you're reaching your ceiling as an offense heading into, again, the most important game of the season uh, as an Ohio State team? I always give Andy a hard time for his pronunciation, so I think he just wanted to show me up there by saying Ethan Kaliak Manis. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I didn't have it pulled up in front of me, so I didn't want to totally butcher it without being able to uh, pull up the name and look at it. But yeah, as you as you mentioned, I think you know this is a game that you know Ohio State. You know, you, you really just want to see another game, much like last week. You want them to take control early, uh, win it comfortably, and then. You know, as soon as that game ends, the page is going to turn 
to Michigan week. And so uh, when we come back next week, uh, we're certainly, uh, I'm going to say we're probably going to be talking a lot more about the Michigan game than we are going to be talking about the Ohio State-Minnesota game because uh, we will certainly wrap up what we saw against uh, Minnesota, but I think the conversation is very quickly going to turn toward the Ohio State-Michigan game. But of course, we got to make our score predictions before we get out of here. Ohio State is a 27.5 point favorite over under of 49. I am going to pick Ohio State to cover, but I'm going to go with the under. I have Ohio State winning 38 to 7. Again, I expect a very similar game to last week. Ohio State dominates the first half, takes its foot off the gas pedal in the second half. I expect a similar game to last week, too. And I, I think Ohio State's backups do manage a score or two in relief this game. I think that's the one difference. Um, but otherwise, a similarly fast starts, similarly you know, strong on the defensive side against a pretty weak offense. So I have 42-6 to six Ohio State. Well, thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Ohio State plays Minnesota in its final home game of the season at 4 p.m. Saturday on Big Ten Network. And we will be back next week to talk all things Ohio State, Michigan, as we will be well into the midst of rivalry week when we talk to you next time.